All right. Oh, man, we're starting slow into this podcast today. This is the Red Bulletin podcast you're listening to. I'm your host, Andreas Georges. We're talking to top performers in the worlds of sports, culture, music, innovation. We're trying to understand the hurdles they had to overcome and the things that make them better. And uh, today we've got another uh, preview podcast for you. No guests, just me telling you a little story, dropping a little knowledge with an incredibly deep voice today, made deeper by the fact that first name James and I last night had, um, well, we had a bit of an epic night. Uh, It's uh, pre-holidays. I know we're not supposed to say when we recorded this, but... I feel like this is a public service announcement just in case you guys are wondering why we all sound like we just woke up. Um, we, we went a bit big last night. So uh, first name, the finest engineer in, in podcasting is slumped over the dials at the moment, uh, furrowing his brow, grabbing for that cup of coffee nearby. I'm, uh, I'm sitting in the booth. I'm sitting in the booth, and I'm thinking about the year. I'm thinking about this year that we've had in 2016. Um, it's been a pretty amazing year in sports. Um, you had the surprise of no-name Leicester City winning the Premiership, uh, England's top-flight league. Um, you had LeBron's Cleveland Cavaliers coming back from 3-1 down to win the NBA championship and bring the city of Cleveland its first sporting championship. But um, we're not going to focus on those kinds of achievements this year. We're gonna. I wanted to take a few moments to focus on the sports stories that might not have come across your radar, um, who might not have gotten all the headlines, and won't make the year in review video soon to be streaming all over your Facebook feed. Because we're a podcast that, like our magazine, celebrates beyond the ordinary talent, we wanted to spend the next few minutes talking not just about the mainstream, but about the stories of human achievement that happened when people weren't necessarily looking. And we're doing that because we got a guest on the podcast next week who is trying to change the perception of his sport uh, to make it sexier, to make it more mainstream. And he took several steps towards that at the Olympics in Rio. But let's first start in the Himalayas and with a man named Valery Razov, kind of one of these original badass mountain Russians. Uh, He's 51 years old, and he's considered one of the top wingsuit pilots in the world. And if you've been following along with the podcast, you might have heard our preview podcast on the history of wingsuits or interview on the limits of human flight with a wingsuit pilot by the name of John DeVore. If not, go back and check them out. They're they're worth it. Razov belongs to the same breed of people as DeVore, people who feel more comfortable in the air than they are on the ground. In 2013, Razov made the highlight clips of morning shows throughout America when he jumped from Changsi in the Everest Massive from an altitude of 23,680 feet and set the record for the world's highest base jump. And for those of you who aren't in the know and don't really know what we're talking about when we say base, base refers to buildings, antenna, spans, and earth. And it's basically shorthand for jumping off of fixed spots with a parachute and not from a plane. In October of this year, he won up to his own record. He hiked 1,600 feet higher to Cho Oyu. And I'm absolutely sure I just butchered that pronunciation. Um, but it's the sixth highest peak in the Himalayas. And, and he set a new record. But it wasn't without ordeal. Um, I feel like there's always an ordeal. I mean, it's Everest, right? It's like the Everest mountain chain first name, right? Why wouldn't there be an ordeal? So they got snowed in, 
And uh, they were delayed a week to get up to their launching pad. In all, the expedition took uh, took 21 days. Um, but he eventually he event- he eventually reached his uh, takeoff point of 25,250 feet. Now, again, that's 1,600 feet higher than his previous one. And he jumped into thin air. He fell for 90 seconds before popping his chute and cruising for another two minutes before landing on a glacier below about 20,000 feet above sea level. This is a guy who we kind of expect this of, um, but he nevertheless sets the limits and, and pushes them higher. And a lot of what we do in this podcast is trying to get to the root of that and trying to understand why, what drives guys like this. Um, similarly, we've, we had a fellow, uh, Carl Meltzer, the mountain goat, one of the original ultra running legends, um, who tried to set the record on the Appalachian Trail. For, you, for those of you who don't know the Appalachian Trail, it uh, stretches from Maine all the way down to Georgia and covers an enormous distance of uh, 2,200 miles or thereabouts. And uh, it's something you hike, and even hiking it is kind of a pain in the ass. Um, but uh, Meltzer kind of hike ran it. Um, and he he covered the whole thing in 45 days, 22 hours, and 38 minutes. That's a pace of 47 miles per day. And he beat the previous record held by his friend Scott Jurek, uh, who set it just a year before in 2015. He beat that record by 10 hours. And, and it's been a record he's been trying to get for, for eight years. He's failed in his previous three attempts, uh, one of which he got something called trench foot, <laughs> which, which I don't think I've heard of since like reading history books about World War One. But brutal. He ended up finishing that one. Uh, the other one, he finished it, but not in record time. The other, uh, the other attempt, it was it was on his third attempt that he got it. The other attempt, he he got an injury and he had to he had to bow out early. So while he's running, he he's eating this diet of steak, fried chicken, ice cream. Peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, hamburgers, steamed vegetables, less interesting, pasta, and of course a, a Red Bull and a beer for dinner. He used 20 pairs of shoes and ran for an average of 14 point hours a day. I don't do anything for an average of 14 point hours a day. Um, Carl Meltzer, at the end of it, he, he sounded quite relieved that, that he was done with it. And um, I feel like he doesn't know if he's going to do a similar feat. I think this is, he felt that this was the, the crowning achievement of his career. This is, of course, a guy who regularly races 100-mile uh, races and, and um, has, holds the record for the most number of wins in those races. Then there's Anthony Irvin, who won gold at the Sydney Olympics in 2000 and 16 years later, at the age of 35, became the oldest man to win an individual gold medal in swimming by surprising the field and winning the 50-meter gold again. Now, 50-meter swimmers are an interesting breed. Um, there's not the strategy in 50, in that, that, that quick dash of a race that you have in, in swimming longer distances. Um, those swimmers, the Irvin-style swimmers, start out hot and fast and just haul. Uh, and even in the barrel-chested, testosterone-fueled world of swimming, they're alphas. Irvin himself is... is full of tats um he's possessed of a active inquisitive mind what's remarkable is what happened during those 16 years uh between his first and his second win uh, it was a time in which he experimented with psychedelics 
Uh, he took up smoking and worked unsuccessfully on a music career in New York City uh, until he was inspired to take up competitive swimming again while teaching kids how to doggy paddle. <laughs> Irvin's story graced the cover of uh, the Red Bulletin in December, and he talked to our writer, Josh Dean, about the problem he had controlling his impulses and his self-absorption before finding out how to channel both of those things in the pool. And, and that brings me to our guest of next week, a man who also found his sporting fate in the great city of New York and has used it to channel emotions and energy that sometimes get out of control. Miles Shamley Watson, a, a New Yorker by way of London, wants to take fencing into the mainstream. He's a lean, muscular, six foot four with tattoos and bleach blonde hair. Uh, he's brash. He's temperamental. He's engaging. He's incredibly goofy. He's actually really funny. He's really fun to be around. Uh, but for all those reasons, he, he struggles to find consistency on, on the fencing strip. So we're going to talk to him next week, and we're going to talk to him about channeling emotions. Um, we're going to talk to him about the hijinks he gets up to in Rio. He is, after all, a young man in his mid-20s at the Olympic Games, surrounded by the cream of uh, athletic talent in the world. And we all hear the stories that go on in the Olympic Village. Um, and we, we'll talk to him also about the rewarding payoff of an Olympic medal. And uh, one more thing. If you like us, like us on Facebook at the Red Bulletin page. Right now you can find an awesome, very awesome, exclusive video of GoPro footage of snowboarder and podcast guest Travis Rice caught in an avalanche as he heads down a, a mountain. And uh, it's an experience he talks about at great length in our podcast with him which you can find by searching for the title Surviving in an Avalanche. Also, if you want to help other folks find this podcast, uh, go ahead and rate us in the iTunes store. Or leave a comment even with one of those bizarre anonymous handles. Uh, we sure would appreciate it. First name James would appreciate it. I would appreciate it. I think that's it. I think we might even go take a nap. See you next time. But a little something